everybody for tuning in to another one of our two scientists podcasts um this valentine's day we are celebrating by sharing our love of science and beer obviously uh our guest this evening is jennifer cedillo how are you doing jennifer good thank you for having me it's nice to be here (laughs) so um we usually start by talking a little bit about your background and you actually did a doctorate in microbiology is that correct so, yeah, a little convoluted, but uh, so technically my doctorate is in public health, uh-huh. and, but global health, but I studied uh, malaria, and so molecular parasitology was my thesis, so. Okay. Yeah, microbiology. Uh, so, obviously, you didn't stay in that for too much longer after you got your PhD, is that correct? Right, I, I left pretty much as soon as I wrote my thesis, <laughs> yeah. And what do you do now? Um... Full-time, I, I teach uh, public health on an online university, so okay. graduate and undergraduate students in public health. Is there a specific theme to that? or um, The public health program that we have is, is, is a general one. There isn't uh, specific um, concentrations, but I teach uh, epidemiology. There's a quarantine class that's like infectious disease, so my background is more infectious disease, so along those lines. Okay, so you decided to move on from trying to cure the diseases and just making sure everybody's well-trained to do it themselves. <laughs> yes, <laughs> sure. I think the, the real focus of our um, little endeavor today is actually your love for beer. Great. So this is what we'd like to bring up. And you've actually worked with various breweries doing what? Uh, so mostly quality control and quality assurance. And so, yeah, I worked with Greenbench for uh, right around a year. I was helping them uh, start up their laboratory program and their quality control in their brewery. And what does that actually involve? So, yeah, quality control and assurance could, uh, it's kind of a wide um, focus in science. So, basically, throughout the process in brewing, you want to make sure that every... uh, process and all the ingredients and everything going into the beer is quality and then uh, the finished product is quality and up to standards of what the brewery wants and so quality assurance or control will go along um, throughout the process and make sure that each step is is um, accurate and is is going as it should be uh, like planned Uh, but most of the time I, I worked with the yeast and on the fermentation side. One of the things that I was wondering is why do you think there's been this massive explosion of craft brewing in the U.S.? And actually, I don't think it's just the U.S. now. I think plenty of other places are taking it up. Sure. Yeah, no, you're, you're completely right. We were actually in Costa Rica in um, 
We were there in December, and uh, so they actually have quite a few breweries, and this is very new to them, and a lot of the Central American countries are definitely um, exploring more breweries uh, and, and craft beer. It's actually been, I think, in the U.S. for a very long time, but it's been at uh, very small amounts. Like you said, it's kind of this overabundance now. People like... Um, they like local ingredients, they like local foods, um, kind of a local flavor to whatever it is that they're um, eating or drinking or anything like that. So I think people really like uh, craft beer because it is so different and from one region to another you should see differences and I think people enjoy that and like that and um, definitely if you're in Belgium they have had that for a very long time mm -hmm. and so I think in the U.S., We've always been known, like in other countries, we're known for our American light lagers. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the... Which, I have to say, you kind of got made fun of, for, at least in England, that's, that's Oh, no, sure. every, yeah, yeah, I took, I was in England in, like, 2010. I was saying how we have really good beer, and, and, and they're like, what, bud? <laughs> you know, and so, but yeah, I think people just like, um, like something different. They like something unique. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where the craft beer is coming from. And, and definitely it's a, we really enjoy it. My, my husband <laughs> and I go to breweries all over Florida and all over wherever we travel. We always find a local brewery to try. And, and some of them are certainly great and some other ones could use some work. So okay. <laughs> that's where the quality control comes in and, and helping. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I would imagine you'd be kept busy visiting breweries since in Tampa Bay there seems to be a new one opening up every week. In the Tampa Bay area, we have 40 just in that area. It's I insane. think we're, we're the biggest in the state, right, for as far as breweries. But, um, but yeah, certainly they're opening up all over. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we did visit all of them at one point, but now we've slacked off. For those of us that are completely uninitiated in the ways of making beer, what's the basic process Okay, basic process. So you have your raw ingredients, you have your malt, you have your hops, you have water, and then you have yeast. And so those are very basic ingredients that make your most basic beer. And so you take malt and you steep it in water just like you would steep tea bags. And by doing that, you release the sugars in the malt. Then you've made what's called wort. And so wort is just like sugar water. And then you take that sugar water and you separate it from the malt grains, so you no longer have grains in your liquid. And then you um, you boil that for a certain amount of time. It depends on the recipe. And you add hops at that time, and hops will give it bitterness as well as different flavors, um, aromas, all of that. And so you add hops. After that, you need to cool very quickly the wort. Um, and this is so that you don't contaminate it with any other microorganisms. And then you transfer it to a fermenter. And in the fermenter uh, is where you, they call it pitching, but adding yeast. And the yeast will eat the sugars in the malt, and they'll produce other flavors. They'll obviously produce alcohol and carbonation. And so that's going on during fermentation. It can go as quick as three days, um, typically around a week for ales and then for lagers it's longer like three weeks and then after that you remove the yeast and now you have beer the last step if you want to clarify it and make it look clear and pretty and then um, carbonate it as well and then you have your finished product 
I was wondering, what's the difference between craft beers and the kind of Bud Light and these super purified things? Because I feel like I get more wicked hangovers with craft beer than I do with light lagers. Is that for a reason? Well, I think people say that. So a craft beer, uh, if you're used to drinking, um, I don't know, how many Bud Lights do people drink in a sitting? (laughs) Quite a few, right? So if you're used to drinking, let's say, five Bud Lights, and you sit and you try to drink five craft beers, those craft beers are going to have much higher alcohol content. And um, sometimes it's hard to tell the alcohol content because of the flavors. They ma- they can mask that. So I think, uh, you know, if you go to Belgium, I think uh, you always get a hangover in Belgium as well. <laughs> their, their, their beers are very high in alcohol, you know. And so you're kind of used to drinking this amount, maybe. And so... Uh, if you drink that with craft beer, you might be actually consuming a lot more alcohol than what you think you are. Okay, so it's not like some side... I hate to use the word natural because uh-huh. this really gets my goat. <laughs> but there's not some product that would be in there potentially from... That would cause a hangover that's not in a really filtered beer. Mm. Nothing I can think of. No, I mean... Um, you know, there's been reports saying that unfiltered beer is actually better for you because it has some of vitamin B's, okay. vitamin B in it that um, filtered beer it's actually removed from. And so if unfiltered beer, you, you have the yeast in there. And the yeast is, you know, some people eat yeast for health, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, there you go. And some justification for drinking beer as a health issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. <laughs> Now, another thing I looked up when I put your name into Google was this article in the Tampa Bay Times. So craft brewing is, at least in my mind, is associated with very beardy guys. (laughs) Because I think it's a very hipstery thing to do, right? At least that's the reputation that it's got. Now, sure, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so this article was all about how you would like to tell the world that actually women like beer too and they can brew it. Yeah, Um, Yeah, definitely. So I think being in a homebrew club for a very long time and before it became kind of popular among, I guess, the the hipster crowd, uh, you have very old men (laughs) who like to (laughs) brew beer. And that was kind of the demographic. (laughs) So and I think that was like that for a very long time. That demographic is definitely changing. And so, like you said, younger uh, guys are into it as well as a lot of women. And so I think a lot of women, um, not all, but quite a few, at least in the homebrew club I'm in, get started because their husband or boyfriend, you know, starts is interested. And so then they start being an assistant. And um, so, yeah, definitely in that article and um, in some of the events we do, we like to get the women from being assistant to being, you know, their own brewer and mm-hmm. a head brewer. And so definitely I know a lot of women who brew on their own and, um, and enjoy it and have and then there's definitely some great women in professional industry that uh, do a lot for craft beer and, and really enjoy it and are big fans so. One of the things you mentioned in your email to me was that you're also working on something called Beer Sensory Now explain what that is Yeah, so beer sensory is the perception of beer when you're drinking it. So to use scientific terms, you're you're using your trigeminal uh, nerves and senses as well as um, your gustatory receptors and your olfactory receptors. Mm -hmm. And so all of that together is how you sense beer, um, how you perceive it and the flavor, right? And it makes flavor. So beer sensory is using all of those senses to evaluate beer. 
basically. And so breweries can have a sensory program for different reasons. Very large breweries will want to make a consistent uh, product. And so they want to make sure that every time they make this beer, it tastes the same. Or if they have two different breweries, they want to make sure that one brewery is making the same product as the other brewery. Just being able to describe a beer and describe a beer to your consumer uh, as part of sensory program, as well as looking for what are called off flavors. So flavors that you do not want in your beer that can be introduced during the process. So you're setting this up to train people to be able to do this? Yeah, so I got interested in it when I was... um, Working at, at Green Bench and working in their quality um, control lab. And then um, I got to visit Avery Brewing out in Boulder, Colorado. And I got, I've got to talk with a lot of other professionals in the business from huge breweries like New Belgium and they're about their sensory programs and about what they do. So I got really interested in it. And so what I'd like to start doing is make a business out of it is so large breweries can afford to have their own tasting panel Uh, they use their employees and they can do their own sensory programs very small breweries don't have the resources to do that Mm -hmm. Um, so I really want to help out the small breweries and have them be able to have a sensory program because it's so important for quality control and insurance and so help them to have these programs in small breweries um, with limited resources and limited people And so um, to that effect, uh, what I've done so far is we've had a few classes that I've put on with uh, Best Florida Beers, a nonprofit organization. And so we put on a few sensory classes to train people in breweries as well as um, we, we have beer judges in the area as well as to train them in the different aspects of beer sensory. I've done a few classes with that. And then I also um, purchase the uh, flavor standards, they're called. And they're uh, purified compounds that you find in beer. And they're single compounds. So, for example, acetaldehyde. Well, it's always in beer, and whether you can uh, taste it or not or perceive it or not is a difference. So you can buy that purified compound and actually (laughs) spike it into beers to train people on what it would taste like in beer. And so by doing that, then they're able to identify it. And you can, from there, you can describe the beer. Um, You can also look for it as an off flavor as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. Are there potentially combinations of things you'd find in particular beers? Like, uh, wouldn't IPA have a particular profile of these compounds versus others? Yes, definitely. So... An American IPA will be very hop forward, and so it, the uh, the flavors in that beer will depend on the hops that are being used. And so some hops will give um, herbaceous, herbal, earthy kind of uh, notes. Some will give, um, there's one compound called linalool, and that actually is like Fruit Loops. So oh, wow. like the cereal Fruit Loops. So that's another one. Um, and there's a few others that are like grassy, uh, grassy green kind of notes. So yeah, you um, and certainly when you add hops, you're not just adding one of those compounds. You're adding you know a combination of them, and so that can give you different flavor profiles. Um, so yeah, these flavor compounds that I'm talking about, they're coming from hops. They're coming from malt. They can come from your water source, and then they come from the microorganisms used in fermentation as well. And so they certainly uh, produce a combination of flavors in beer and not just a single 
flavour. Okay. And I would guess it's also a matter of dose. So right. some things will have a higher concentration of something versus... Exactly. And so the a big thing in um, sensory is threshold. Mm-hmm. And so there have been a lot of studies. Not all compounds um, are known what the threshold is, but a lot of them were studied and there was identified what the threshold is for humans to perceive it. For example, acetaldehydes in all beer. But whether you perceive it or not, is, is it at that threshold com- uh, concentration? And everyone in the population is different. And so some people will uh, have different thresholds for that flavor. Some people might be very sensitive naturally, and some people might uh, not perceive it at all. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so in training, what you try to do is... Uh, train the people to be able to perceive it at a very low level and you so even if you don't perceive it naturally um, as long as you have their proper receptors you can be trained to perceive it oh weird so okay so yeah so anosmia Uh so anosmia is um that's when you can't smell anything however most people have what are called specific anosmias because they don't have the proper receptors Mm -hmm. and some flavor compounds have a higher anosmic rate than others okay so that would make a lot of sense because i think they found recently that um for example flavors like cilantro Mm -hmm. i know i have several friends who find it absolutely disgusting and it's because of one little bit of a chemical in a single gene that uh-huh. really upsets them. And up until, you know, very recently, we'd think, oh, you're just being super sensitive. But I mean, right. yes, they are being super sensitive, but <laughs> yeah, for a genetic but, reason. Yeah, there's um, one thing that, uh, in sensory. This isn't beer-related, but um, in male pigs, they produce a, a hormone. And this hormone, I guess, can uh, be transferred into uh, the meat. And so... 50% of the population do not perceive this hormone at all. They, so they don't smell it, they don't taste it in meat or anything. 35% think it's a very strong urine, um, mm. a very, <laughs> very unpleasant uh, smell. And then 15% of the population actually think it's like floral, woody, and really don't mind it. And it's actually kind of a positive flavor. And that's because of their genetics. So the people perceive it differently. But because 35% of the population, it's very foul to them, uh-huh. they, uh, they actually castrate male pigs so they don't produce it. Oh, so wow. <laughs> you don't have it in meat. But yeah, so that's, uh, you know, it, people do perceive uh, flavors differently and it, it can be partly genetic. Mm-hmm. So. That's very cool. Um, So I've been yapping on for ages now, and lots of people have been sending us lots of (laughs) questions, actually, for this one. Uh, So a very simple one. Do you have a brewery, and would you want one? I don't personally have a brewery. My husband very much wants one. Okay. (laughs) And so uh, if he... uh, Sorry, when he opens a brewery... (laughs) um, When he opens a brewery, um, he's going to focus mostly on uh, sour beers, uh, which are, um, they're kind of gaining in popularity right now, uh, but that's his style and his uh, focus is wild beers, and so I would definitely be a part of that brewery. Okay. But I'm more interested in the science aspects of it than the actual brewing part. So that leads rather nicely on to two questions from David. Can you engineer yeast to brew better or tastier beer? Yeah, so that's something that um, I haven't read anything specifically. They don't publish it because um, a lot of the very large breweries that have their own labs and scientists 
um, it's proprietary, mm -hmm. right? So they're not going to publish if they've done it. But I've heard from people that it's already being done. The, okay. They genetically modify their yeast to make a, a certain flavor profile. You certainly can. Uh, I don't know if it's true or not. De definitely you can modify yeast. Uh, you would just modify different enzymes in their metabolism. And then you could produce different flavors by doing that. Yeast is an organism that's very easy to genetically manipulate. So certainly you could. I know a group in Japan, they, um, they manipulated yeast so that during fermentation, it produces caffeine instead of alcohol. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, the subject of the, the science of it, this is from Rodney, I think. Can scientific instruments detect these flavors and aromas? So some of them, definitely, yes. Uh, one of the flavor and aroma that's most tested for in beer are vicinal diketones, and mm -hmm. so specifically diacetyl. Diacetyl is buttered popcorn uh, okay. smell and, and flavor, and it's actually what's used to make buttered popcorn, you know, microwave buttered popcorn. And so there is a chemical test um, you distill and you can concentrate the, the VDKs, they're called, and then it's a color metric test to test for the level of them. And so diacetyl is produced uh, during fermentation. However, if you leave the yeast in the fermenters long enough, they actually uh, reduce that down to another compound that you can't perceive. Okay. So uh, basically, if you're taking the yeast off of the beer too early, you're going to be left with high amounts of diacetyl, and you'll get this buttered popcorn flavor in your beer. That actually sounds tasty. <laughs> yeah. So English ales uh, do have an amount of diacetyl, and it's appropriate for that style. Mm -hmm. But most styles, it's not appropriate. Okay. <laughs> so you, you don't want it. But so, yeah, this test can help you determine if it's ready to uh, take off the yeast or it needs more fermentation time. But then there are other chemicals and uh, aromas and flavors that uh, that are really hard to detect. I mean, maybe if you had the right equipment, you could detect them, um, but this equipment would cost a lot of money. And so instead, you have people and their palates, which is actually more uh, relevant because even if that compound's there, if people don't perceive it, is it really important? Yeah. You know, and so having uh, sensory panels where people can perceive and, and tell you if they can uh, taste it, then that's actually more relevant than just a, a chemical test. Okay. So you rather handily answered his second question, which was <laughs> why sensory over scientific measurement? <laughs> that's awesome. In a similar vein, how does your scientific background help you in this work? Yeah. So my background is... is um, Definitely microbiology. I've done environmental microbiology and then biomedical microbiology and infectious disease. And so this is what I'd call like the third arm of microbiology, like industrial microbiology. So it's kind of, for me, I, I really like it because I've got to see all the different aspects of microbiology. I have knowledge of microorganisms. I have knowledge of how they work and their uh, well, metabolism is not my strength. <laughs> it's definitely something I have knowledge in. And so that helps me be able to understand the yeast and the fermentation process. Mm -hmm. And then also where uh, contamination can occur, because that's very important to know where it can occur and how it can occur. And so definitely my background has helped me to understand all that. 
Uh, going back to the sensory panels, this one's from Kathy. If you're trained to perceive low levels of flavors, does it destroy your taste for beer? <laughs> it's. I think it certainly could. <laughs> um, I think that uh, when you're trained on these off flavors and then you perceive them in every beer you drink, where before you were just happily drinking the beer and didn't know they existed. Um, yes, definitely. So uh, part of... Uh, what I've been involved in and why I like sensory is a beer judge certification program and, there, and during this uh, you become a certified judge to judge beer and we sit down and have beer competitions <laughs> and you have to sit there and critically analyze the beer and then so it is sometimes hard to just go to a brewery and just enjoy a beer because you're you're looking for these faults and yeah it's definitely can change how you how you drink beer <laughs> I wonder, though, because, I mean, um, I'm actually a neurobiologist and we work on very similar things, so that the sensory part makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually it's a, it's a change in a level of a protein that makes you more sensitive or less sensitive to something. Okay. And I just wonder if they left it for long enough, just didn't drink beer for maybe a year or something, yeah. they could reset that. Um, definitely. So part of sensory training is... Um, constantly retraining so it's not like you're trained once and you can do it for the rest of your life no you need to be constantly retrained and your palate does constantly need to be exposed to that um, compound for you to be able to continually identify it so they recommend at least once a month training when you when you are trained okay well that makes a lot of sense so another jennifer (laughs) a mutual friend of ours who actually brews uh, a lot of beer with uh, another friend called Jill, which is very, very good. I'm looking forward to the next batch, by the way, guys. She asks, how do you use yeast to achieve the style of beer that you want? So um, brewer's yeast that you buy that's specifically for brewing beer, it's just Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is the same as uh, uh, the yeast you use to bake bread. Mm-hmm. However, um, these strains have been cultured over time. So just like you breed animals to produce a certain, you know, amount of meat or, you know, whatever, um, it's the same in yeast. So they've been cultured over a certain amount of time that they become their own strain. um, And that strain uh, will have specific properties. So uh, Saison yeast will produce a lot of um, esters and a lot of flavor where uh, American ale yeast, the most popular one is called Chico ale yeast from Chico, California. Mm -hmm. It's very clean, so it doesn't produce a high amount of esters, which would give um, fruity notes and floral notes. And it's very clean, so you don't get those. Hefeweizen yeast is very specific in that it produces esters and phenols. And so most strains of uh, brewer's yeast do not produce phenols, Mm -hmm. and this is one that does. And so phenols are clove. So a hefeweizen is banana, which is ester, and clove, which is phenols. And so that's from coming from the yeast, not from the ingredients you're using. Also, uh, attenuation for yeast is important, too. So how much alcohol you'll produce. Oh, so, okay, yeah. Yeah, and so how much of the sugars will be eaten. So if you, uh, if you don't produce high amount of alcohol and you leave sugars behind, the beer will be sweeter, mm-hmm. uh, perceivably. And so if they're high attenuating, then you produce uh, what's called a dry beer. Mm-hmm. And so the dry beer um, will not be very sweet and will have, you know, alcohol. So. Obviously, you're going to have stuff that you like and stuff that you don't like, but do you have a least favorite beer from a microbiology perspective? <laughs> 
Uh, well, okay, I don't know if it's from a microbiology perspective. Um, I think from a microbiology perspective, I, I like different beers uh, because of the I know the different microorganisms that are in them, and so I enjoy that. But a beer style that I, I do not like <laughs> is uh, called Gruet. Traditionally, hops are used in beer, um, and Gruet is a very old style that doesn't use hops and instead uses other herbs mm-hmm. and uh I just think it's foul. (laughs) (laughs) I've never heard of this before. Uh, I can try to avoid it. There's a lot of breweries that make it, and maybe it can be made well. The the examples I've tried were, no. (laughs) Beer needs hops. We'll see. (laughs) Actually, hops brings us onto the subject of IPAs, which I think all of our British friends or any of our European friends who come over here, they far prefer American IPAs to anything we have in Europe. To British. So... The English style or British style IPA is is different than the American style mm-hmm. IPA. Um, the English style is more malty, and um, they have a higher amount of esters, which are from the yeast, uh, so fruity and, and floral, sweeter. Where American style, uh, like I said before, they're using this Chico strain of yeast usually, which is very clean. So you're not getting any of the flavor products from the yeast. And basically all you're tasting is hops. Mm -hmm. It's like extremely hop forward. And so, yeah, it can be quite addictive. Uh, Once you find a flavor hop you like, you just want to taste that in the beer. And so definitely different. Okay. Now, I'm not sure if Jill's read up something about this, but she asks, are sour beers good for you, like probiotics? <laughs> there there are some reports that it's possible. Um, it would depend on how they're making the beer because uh, some sour beers are, are kettle soured, and if they're kettle soured, then they actually kill all the bacteria before um, it goes into fermentation. So you don't have any of those probiotic bacteria in there. Um, but definitely the bacteria that are used for souring beer are probiotic. And then um, even if they're doing it uh, in fermentation, they still, a lot of uh, the lar- very large breweries will pasteurize it. And so again, you know, you're killing mm-hmm. all of that, uh, that probiotic bacteria. So if it's unfiltered and it's, uh, sour during fermentation um, I guess it's possible <laughs> but there's there's no definitive answer for that yeah. Okay, I'm sure she's looking for an excuse just to drink more sour beer <laughs> I have to ask you before you uh, finish up is what's your favourite beer? My favourite beer you know it does constantly change mm-hmm. um, my husband's kind of like my beer seller he he like well he keeps all the information in his head on what beer I like <laughs> so if we go somewhere I'm like Rodney what beer do should I buy <laughs> um I I have like sour beers quite a lot now that's something that I I it took me a while to get into but I do uh like them quite a bit so a nice goose if it's done well is really really good so I guess for now I'd say goose yeah <laughs> oh very good um, well, we enjoyed talking to you very much today, and most of us, as we're downing our beers, are obviously going to think, hmm, what beer profile have I got in there? <laughs> um, yeah, thanks again for coming out to speak to us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Thank you. Your mind's gone to waste, and my feet began to base, because I'm too anxious to get away from this misfortune. Wasted life I know you too well 
We look just like the same and we're moving at the same pace Consuming, consuming Our names will not be the same but our brains are just displaying What are we doing, what are we doing What is wrong with these plays, it is turning to a maze of confusion Confusion You said you can't be the ways and your mind persists to chase well, You Just have a lot of different colleagues and they come from all over the world and you become friends I don't know, at least where I grew up you kind of make fun of each other or Play pranks on each other, you know, because you're, you're friends so you can do that so I had a colleague from Australia who was visiting our lab, and we were very friendly. He's a great guy. And so uh, I wanted to play a prank on him <laughs> in the lab, which can be very delicate because you can't screw up someone's work, mm -hmm. right? You have to make sure it stays professional. Um, so I'm a big fan of The Office because I grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. So I'm from that area. So one of the pranks in The Office is Jim takes Dwight's stapler and puts it into a jello mold. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so I wanted to do that, but a stapler he's not going to care about. So I, I took his coffee mug that he used every day <laughs> religiously and I put it into a jello mold and then I left the jello mold for him on his desk. The best part of that prank was that he took the entire jello mold home and ate it all. <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, a couple of days later, he's like, oh, I'm still eating it. <laughs> like, and it's like, what's the joke? Yeah. You mean, why haven't you done this for me before? <laughs> and then he said his coffee tasted sweet for like a year after. So. <laughs> mm, Yellow flavored coffee. <laughs> Sometimes to 